Hey, good morning, y'all. <clears throat> My name is Ed Griffinagan. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I want to welcome you again. Lots of places you could be, but the Lord's got you here, I think, for a reason. <clears throat> and I want to say this, because we didn't say this in our welcome video. If, if this is your first time uh, spending a Sunday with us, or if it's your third time, but you've never gotten one of these in your hands, we would love to get this in your hands. If you would just raise your hand, we'll bring one over to you inside of that is a connection card, and they're also in the seat backs in front of you. But if you would just let us know that you're here um, on one of those connection cards, or if you've got a prayer request, or if you want to just communicate anything to, to, uh, to us um, to be praying about or whatever, if you'd fill one of those out and just you can stick it in one of these black boxes that is around. Now, <clears throat> now's a, a time in our in our worship service too where we will worship the Lord by receiving an offering and you know we, we tend to say most Sundays that, uh, that, that the generosity in our church fuels the things that we do uh, the generosity fuels the ministries that we have ultimately Stephen said at the very beginning of worship today he said that we exist to help uh, that, that our mission is helping people find their way back to God and grow so everything that we do as a church, family, everything we do, ministry-wise, whatever it is, is with that kind of in mind to, to help wherever anybody is on, a, on, a, on their walk, to help them find their way back to God. They may not have a relationship with him whatsoever. And so we're helping to play some sort of a role in that, whether it be, and we've talked about our, <clears throat> our M2540 homeless uh, ministry. We've talked about Generations, which is a... Uh, foster care prevention ministry we talk about the fact that right now as we're sitting here talking about learning about Jesus our our little kids the tots are back behind that wall learning about Jesus and the older kids are next door learning about Jesus all of that stuff everything that we do that is all fueled by the generosity of the people in our church family and so we thank you for that and you see on the screen different ways to give maybe it's on the website or text to give, or uh, Venmo is a super easy way to do it. Or if you if you have a check or whatever it is, there again these black boxes, two in here, two or three in here, and one out there. There's a kiosk out there. However it is that that you can give, we're we're thankful for that. Let me pray over that, and then we'll jump into our message. Lord, <clears throat> we're thankful for everything that you do for us on a on a on a daily basis. For all of the blessings that you just shower us with, we are so thankful. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to be responsible for the gifts that are given, for the tithes that are given, for the offerings that are given, that we would use them in a way that would bring you glory, that we would use them in a way that would bring people into a relationship with you that don't know you right now, and to help the folks that do know you to grow. Lord, let us be on your mission and not our mission. And so we ask you, we, we pray to you, we appeal to you to, to, uh, to multiply the gifts, the tithes, the offerings that are given just to bring you glory. And so, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So, shot caller. I have to enunciate that well because when I told my wife earlier this week, I'm going to talk about shot callers. She said, why are you talking about shocking dogs in, in the message? Shot caller, not shock caller. So shot caller, if you, any of you ever heard of a shot 
collar. What is a shot collar? Well, a shot collar have an elevated rank in gangs, in gangs. Not only are they the ones that, uh, that are commanding respect in a gang, but they're the power brokers inside prison walls. They're the ones inside prisons that make the call on, uh, on who gets hurt, who gets shanked, who lives, who dies, who whatever. Shot callers. There's a guy named Casey Diaz, and I was told I needed to enunciate that better too because they said, did he say quesadilla? No. Casey Diaz is the guy's name. He was a shot caller. Casey was born in El Salvador. He moved to South Central L.A. when he was two years old with his family. Grew up in a super messed up home. His dad beat his mom, he says, mercilessly about every other day of his entire childhood. When Casey was six years old, they lived on a third floor apartment in, in uh South Central Los Angeles, and he was on the stoop in the back part of the in the back of the apartment that overlooked the alley. And Casey's six years old. He's up on that third floor stoop, and he looks down and he sees three guys walking and another guy walking this way. And this guy shot all three of them in the head and killed him. He's still six years old, and that's what he saw as a six-year-old. Um, when Casey was 11, he joined. He was recruited into a gang. The name of the gang was the Rockwood Street Locos in Los Angeles. At the end of the day, Casey became the shot caller for the Lockwood Street Locos. He's the one that led the way in home invasions, in stealing cars, you know, in ransacking convenience stores. You know, he's the one that kind of led the way on tit-for-tat uh, stabbings of rival gang members. Eventually, Casey, though, was caught by the Los Angeles Police Department. He was sentenced to about 13 years for second-degree murder and for 52 counts of armed robbery. While Casey was in the, the 2400 East Max wing of a place called the Pitches Detention Center, which is just north of Los Angeles, he became the shot caller in that prison. End of the day, Casey was, not that long after that, was transferred to New Folsom State Prison, which is right outside of Sacramento, California, and he was placed in solitary confinement. For three years, he was in solitary confinement. Three years, the Joker's in solitary. And he was placed in solitary because he was the shot caller and the, the warden of the prison was trying to make a point to the, to the inmates in the prison. So he's in solitary, has very little, um, very little interaction with other inmates, very little interaction with even with guards. And sometime into that stay in New Folsom, uh, the guards came by, was come, were coming by the cells, and they said something. They made an announcement. They said, there's a church service, and any inmate that wants to, come, that wants to go, stand by your gate. Well, the gate is the, is the door, I guess, of the cell that opens up. Now, religion, quote, religion was not something that Casey Diaz was ever interested in. He didn't know nothing about no God. He didn't know nothing about no Jesus other than the Jesus was the guy that was on the crucifix that hung on the wall right up under where his dad beat his mom every day. That's all he knew about this Jesus character. Now, one time, Casey's laying on his bed in his cell, and he's listening to the voices outside of, the, of his lockup, and he heard this older woman say, and she said, is there somebody in that cell? And she sounded southern. She said, this drawl, this southern drawl. And so he heard, yes, ma'am, but that's, you're wasting your time on Diaz, the guard said. And the woman said, well, Jesus came for him too. 
she approached the cell. She said, young man, can I, can I speak with you? And what she shared with Casey Diaz would bring transformation into his life. What she said to him would transform his life forever. Y'all, transformation is coming. It's coming. We spent several months walking through Paul's letter to the, uh, to the church in Rome. We actually started walking through Romans last May. We finished chapter 11 last week. I want to give you a quick 60-second recap of those first 11 chapters. From the beginning of Romans 1 until about the middle of chapter 3, Paul paints this image of a really severely jacked-up world that is desperately in need to get right with God. From that, that point on to about chapter 5, Paul tells us the way that the world is to get right with God, that it's revealed through his Son, that the way is justification, that's believing and trusting in him and, and having God count that belief and that trust and that faith as righteousness. And then from chapter 6 through chapter 8, they show us that, uh, that as believers, you know, that as believers that we truly are set free, that we are, are uh, that we have truly libertarian in that way we are free. We are free from sin. We are free from the bondage of that and we can embrace life through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That chapter 6 through 8. And then chapter 9, 10, and 11 give us this. They wrap up and give us this eternal blueprint and the relationship between Jews and Gentiles that culminate in this beautiful picture that Paul paints of, of the author of that whole blueprint, the author of that whole plan at the end of chapter 11. Paul says he's sovereign and he's merciful and he's reliable and he's what? What's the last one that he is? Please somebody remember from last week. Ginormous. He's ginormous. So those first 11 pictures of Roma, those first 11 chapters, I'm sorry, of Romans, they provide this perfect plan of redemption, this perfect script, this perfect blueprint, and in a crystal clear sort of way, they let us know that all of that is to bring God glory. Now, I would ask this, how is it that we should respond to that plan? How is it that we should respond? How should we respond to, to this God that designed it all and that provided a way back into a relationship with him, particularly when nobody, not one of us, deserve it? I believe the answer is this, and this is kind of our big point of today, and I'm giving it to you right at the beginning. I believe to serve him is the only reasonable way to respond to his mercy and grace, to serve him. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only reasonable response that we can have. And so today we're starting a series for a few weeks called Transformed, Romans 12 and 13, Transformed. Can something happen in our lives that, can, that transforms us? And if it does, then what does that look like? What does that transformation look what, what does that transformation sort of look like? A transformed life. How does that look? And I remember last week, you know, I go in this little room before anybody's here every Sunday morning and pray. And I pray for the people that are going to be y'all who are going to be sitting in those seats. And I pray for the message and I pray for, for the worship team, that the worship team would lead us into the very presence of the Lord. And I pray Mostly, Lord, don't let me screw this thing up that you got going on this morning. And so I'm praying before the message last week 
uh, about that, about all of this, and I'm thinking very much about the end of the message last week and, and that, that the thought that everything that happens is for his glory. And I remember thinking right by myself in that room, I remember thinking, Lord, if that's really true, and it really is all for your glory. And Lord, if you really can use everything and everybody, good, bad, and different, then you really can use me. Super crazy moment, I thought, with all of my faults and all of my imperfections and all of my weirdnesses and, and idiosyncrasies, I'm sitting on my knees in that room and I thought, you use me however it is that you see fit. It was a come to Jesus moment. You remember John chapter 12? Some of you probably remember the story in John chapter 12. Jesus is in Bethany and, and, he, and Mary of Bethany. Mary and Martha Mary. Not Mary, Jesus' mama. Mary and Martha Mary. Mary anoints the Lord. John chapter 12 verse 3 says this. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And some folks got ticked about that. Got really ticked. Said it was a waste. Said a bunch of hungry people could have got fed with the money that that perfume cost. Said what a waste that was. But Jesus jumps into that conversation and he says, get off of her back, y'all. Leave her alone. She's doing what she can do. She's doing what she can do. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there any one of you sitting in here or if you're watching online, is there anybody here who cannot do what you can do? Now you may say, what a stupid kind of question is that? That question don't make no sense. But here's what I'm saying, y'all. I'm saying that you can do what you can do. You can do what you can do. Mary did what Mary can do. Mary didn't do what Martha can do. Martha didn't do what Mary can do. Ed does what Ed can do. I'm not asked to be Stephen Fortenberry. Y'all should be very thankful for that, that I'm not asked to be Stephen Fortenberry because it would sound like a bunch of cackling cows up in here if I was on this stage trying to sing. I'm not asked to do, to, to do what Richard Moore can do. I'm not asked to bring to the table what they bring to the table. I'm not. I'm asked to do what I can do, what I can do. God doesn't ask me of me any more than that, and he doesn't ask of in me of any less than that. I said a minute ago that I believe to serve him is the only reasonable way to respond to his grace and his mercy. I want us to look at what Romans 12 says about the way that plays out, about the way that rolls out in the life of a Christ follower, in the life of a Christian. Look at verse 1. First point today is in response. In response to what? In response to the grace and the mercy and the love that the Lord showers on us in his plan. In response to that, we present ourselves to God. Verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. Well, therefore what? Therefore, in light of the what I've told you for 11 chapters, therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God of God, this glorious message of how much God loves us and how much he's done for us and the way he has just showered us with mercy and the mercies just, they overflow. 
and he's met our desperate need to get right with him. He's provided the power and, 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 and for me and you to be set free, set free from ridiculous bondage to sin, ridiculous bondage to death in this life, and for me and you to, 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 to live eternally with him. And he's going to, He's kind of gives us this most glorious purpose. He provides this most glorious purpose to life, and that is of proclaiming the good news, the great news, the, the unbelievable news of the gospel. So Paul says, I appeal, I beg you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A dead sacrifice? No, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, of all of the stuff that God has done for me and you, Paul appeals and he begs for us to devote ourselves to the Lord, to dedicate, to, to commit ourselves to him. He wants us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, to lay aside every single day to lay aside what is usually our, our selfish desires. He says lay all of that aside and, and offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to follow the Lord, to put all of our energy, all of our brain space, all of our resources at his disposal and trust in him and allowing him to lead us and to guide us and for us to follow him. Ultimately, he says, I want you to die to self. Paul writes that throughout in different ways, he writes that throughout his letters. Die to self. I love the New Living Translation of Galatians 5.24. Paul, it's another, it's a beautiful image of what this, this whole notion is. And Paul wrote, those who belong to Christ Jesus, so he's writing to Christ followers. This is not written to, I don't know if it's on the screen or not, it's not. Um, did I reference it up there? I did over there on the side. This is written to Christ followers. This is written to believers, and so is this. But he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What is he saying? Take all your junk and nail it to the cross. What happens to things that get nailed to a cross? Physically, what happens? They die. Nail your junk to the cross, leave it, and let it die on that cross. And Paul goes on here and he says that when you do this, this is your spiritual worship. And that word worship there in, uh, in verse 1, that word worship down at the bottom of verse 1, it really, that, that word really means any act, anything that you do for the Lord, anything. And the modifier behind it, spiritual, is also translated reasonable or logical or that whatever just makes sense. And so what he's really saying, the New King James translation really kind of translates this a little better because it, it says what is of reasonable service. He's talking about serving him and what makes sense. The only reasonable way to respond to his grace and his mercy is to serve him. Y'all, you hear me say often, probably hear me say often, that if it came right down to it, and the jihadi dudes got a sword at my throat that I would die for, for Christ in the moment, that I would die for him. The question really is this. Are you willing today, February 2021, are you willing to live for him? Do you love him enough to live for him? 
Because reality is, y'all, if you don't love him enough to live for him, you dang sure don't love him enough to die for him. So do we love him enough today to live for him? Have you crucified the sinful passions and selfish desires of your life? Have you crucified all of that? And are you willing to say, it's not my life, it's not my car, it's not my house, it's not my business, it's not my ambition, it's all yours, Lord, Is take me. You can have all of me because none of that stuff is all yours. It is not I, but Christ who lives in me. Are we willing to do that? Reality is this. We got people up in here who ought to be leading a growth group, but they're not. Well, why aren't they? Because they don't want to commit. They don't want to commit. We live in a commitless society. Nobody wants to commit. There's folks who ought to be serving in, 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 in tots or in kids or in, on the greet team or, or working these doors or making coffee in there at the cafe or where, on the streets with M2540 or, or maybe delivering a bed to a kid who's been sleeping on the floor for three years one day every six weeks delivering a bed. But they don't want to do that because they don't want to commit. They don't want to get hemmed up. They don't get all tied up in all of that stuff because they may have something better to do. There's people who feel like, you know, maybe I, ought to, maybe I ought to make a commitment to tithe, but I might need the money for something else sometime. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just give when it's convenient for me to give, but I'm not making a commitment because I don't want to get all hemmed up and tied up in all of that stuff. Let me tell you about what the Old Testament says, and you all know I know about the Old Testament. The, what the Old Testament says about the animal sacrifices Put the animal sacrifice on the altar. It's a piece of meat that's going on that altar. And you know how you know how slippery bloody meat is. I assume you know how slippery. If you ever hunted in your life, you know how slippery bloody meat is. You know what they do? You know how they held that, that sacrifice on the altar in the Old Testament? They had thing, two things on each altar called a flesh hook. And they would turn those flesh hooks over and hook that slippery, bloody piece of meat on that altar to keep it on the altar. Me and you, what I say a little while ago? Verse 1 says, offer yourselves as a what sacrifice? A living sacrifice. We ain't dead. A living sacrifice. Well, how do we, what are the flesh hooks? Because the problem with living sacrifices in the 21st century is we keep slipping off the altar. We keep easing away because we don't want to commit. Well, what is it? What are the, what are the flesh hooks of the 21st century? Discipline and devotion. Discipline and devotion will keep you on the offer as a living sacrifice. When you keep your discipline there, you're, you're daily getting into the word. You're daily being on your knees and praying. If you're a married couple, pray with each other. You know what happens to divorce rates when a couple prays together? They Plummet, pray, devotion, discipline, your daily time walking with the Lord. It develops this burning desire in you. And you'll see that you are actually there over time as a voluntary, sacrificial, irrevocable offering to the Lord. That's how you present yourselves as a living sacrifice. That sweet little old southern lady led Casey Diaz in Sacramento, California, 
at New Folsom State Prison to present himself as a living sacrifice. It's principle number one. Principle number one in how, how this takes shape in the life of a, of a Christ follower. Number two, in response to what? In response to his grace and his mercy, we are spiritually transformed. We're transformed. Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the renewal of your mind that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. So first you present yourself as, a, as, a, as an offering, as a living sacrifice, and then transformation is coming. You'll experience spiritual transformation. It's God's will, this transformation, and that word there is metamorpho in the Greek, metamorpho. Reckon what that word we get in English. Metamorphosis is what we get from that word. And we know from high school or middle school uh, science class that, that metamorphosis is what happens when the caterpillar goes into the, co the cocoon and he comes out a butterfly. Metamorphosis is when the inner nature of the caterpillar rises up to the surface. Because inside that caterpillar, that nasty, slimy caterpillar, really is a beautiful butterfly on the inside just waiting to bust out. The Bible says that if you present yourself as a living sacrifice, then you'll be transformed and your inner, your inner nature will just bust out. Just bust out. And you, you probably want to ask, well, what is, what is my inner nature? Well, I'll tell you this. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus Christ is inside of you. Jesus Christ is your inner nature. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You are a partaker of the divine, the Bible says. And so when you present yourself to him, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice, you won't be squeezed or conformed to the world. You'll be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. He says that you were once dead, but now you are a new creation. Y'all, what do you think it means to be born again? That's not just some Christian mumbo-jumbo lingo. It means you are a new creation, a new creation, a new self. And Paul says in verse 24, 5 of, of Ephesians 4, he talks about being renewed by the spirit of your mind. You got to get your head right. You got to get your head right. And so there's this transformation that happens and Jesus is made manifest. He comes to the surface and you bust out your inner Jesus. When you're a new creation, you're renewed. Your mind is renewed. You'll look at life differently. You'll have different want-tos. You'll have different motivations. You'll have a different work ethic. You look at things differently. You have a different value system. I tell y'all the day I got saved, like this, like I'm going to almost say the second I got saved, my view on abortion, 180 degrees different. It was like God said, it's murder. Now, he didn't take away and change everything that I saw in that instant. That was one thing he changed immediately. 
because it's transformation. Transformation. My mind was re was renewed. It was I was transformed, and I began over time walking and and uh, and looking at everything began to look different. It was like taking off this this super cloudy, dimly lit pair of glasses and putting on, I, don't, I can't remember, y'all see that crazy commercial for the military glasses that make everything all clear? It's like that's what I put on all of a sudden and everything began to clear up and all these things looked differently. My work ethic was different. My, my relationship with Susan was different. My relationship with my kids was different. And I don't mean different bad, different good, different good. I was transformed. I got my head screwed on right all of a sudden. I was a new creation. I was a new creation, and then I matured, you know, began to mature over time. Y'all, you think differently when you've been metamorpho-ode. Somebody write that down. When you've been metamorpho-ode, hashtag, I don't even know how to spell it, don't ask. Metamor is it ain't on the screen, is it? That's because I couldn't spell it. Metamorpho-ode, you look at things differently. You do. Casey's mind inside that prison cell was metamorphosed. He was, it was renewed. He was transformed. His life began to be transformed by the Lord. And so that's this second principle in how this looks in the life of a Christ follower. Number three, in response to this mercy and grace that the Lord provides in response, we become super self-aware. So we present ourselves and we're transformed and then we can become self-aware, super self-aware. We can, we, begun, we can begin to evaluate ourselves. Look at verse 3. For, the, for, the, for by the grace God, excuse me, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that who is assigned. The measure of faith that God has assigned. I said a minute ago, your perspective changes, your, your, the way you look at things change. Your mind was renewed. So now Paul says, take that renewed mind and evaluate yourself honestly, not pridefully. Don't think of yourself in a, don't put yourself up on a pedestal on the throne. Don't think of yourself in, in, in more than you ought to think of yourself. Inflated ego has no place in the life of a Christian. Somebody say amen to that. Inflated ego has no place in the life of a Christian. It doesn't belong there. It just doesn't belong there. And it's really in light of what Paul talked about throughout chapter 11. Well, really 9, 10, and 11. But this relationship, he said the Jews know better than the Greek. The Greek is no better than the Jew. None of y'all. You all are subject to and need the mercy and the grace of the Lord to be saved. All of us are dependent on that. So there's no place for pride. There's no room for pride in any of it. That pride would completely undermine the oneness and the unity that is so vital for the growth of the kingdom. And so Paul says, look in the mirror and be honest. And honest means don't overinflate yourself, but it also means don't underinflate, don't deflate yourself. Don't go down the road of thinking, I'm worthless, God can't use me. That's actually prideful, y'all, because that's saying that your sin, your whatever is too much for God to handle. You ain't that important in that issue. Don't go down that road of saying that you're worthless and that God can't use you. It's a lie from hell, and the devil will get in your ear and tell you that. He absolutely will. 
Don't you know that Casey Diaz, his whole life, the, the, the devil was in his ear saying that? I promise you. I promise you. So don't deflate yourself, but don't inflate yourself too much either. God has given, verse 3 says, God has given every believer a measure of faith. And that measure of faith, y'all hear these words, is the, the, the spiritual capacity that each Christ follower has to fulfill his function in the church. That measure of faith is your capacity to fulfill your function that God has designed for you in the church. It's God's discernment. It's not our discernment. It's God's discernment that, that gives out and provides that measure of faith, not, not ours. So whatever you or I have in natural ability, spiritual gifts, whatever it is, they all should be used in humility with gratitude towards God and used for the body of Christ. If we're proud, we can't do that. And if we think that we're worthless, we can't do that. Let me tell you this. If you're a believer, if you have said yes to the offer, if you're a new creation, if you've been born again, then God has blessed you beyond all measure. And you are uh, unbelievably special to him. You have a very special relationship with him. And he has wired you up and he's wired me up in exactly the way that he wanted to wire me up. And he has a very special service that is tailor-made just for you. And the service he has for you is different than the service he has for you. It's tailor-made for every single believer. Casey Diaz in that, in that jail cell slowly became acutely self-aware. He slowly evaluated himself and the way that God wired him up. And he began to understand that God wanted him to serve him. Don't you know that Casey Diaz had crazy leadership skill? Crazy leadership skill. Very much channeled in the wrong direction, but unreal leadership skill. That was like part of who he was. And don't you know that when God saves you, he doesn't like take abilities necessarily away. He takes what you may be naturally good at and makes them spiritual, makes them spiritual. And so Casey was a born leader, born leader. And so in that cell, he started realizing that, that, that the Lord wanted him to serve him for the rest of his life. And so by using that renewed mind, you and I can begin to see who we are in Christ and how we're wired up, number three. Number four is this. We respond, again, what are we responding to? God's mercy and grace and love. We respond by being a contributor, by being a contributor, not a consumer, but a contributor. Look at verse four. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That sounds like a tongue twister. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, the gifts are different according to God's grace. Let us use them. Lock on to those words for a second. Let us use them. 
if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, which is encouragement, um, exhortation is encouragement, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We respond by being a contributor. And where and how is it that we should contribute? God put us together in his church. He put us together in his church. We need one another. We're all members of one body. We're not individual individuals per se. We're all part of the body of Christ. And I need you and you need me. And we need each other. That is the way the church is wired up. So Paul uses this image of a body. And a body is made up of, of a bunch of parts and limbs and organs. And each one of those different parts all have uh, specific different functions and your body, your physical body only works when all the parts are working together in the way that God designed them to work. Then your body works. And in this conversation in Romans 12, my gift, Ed, my gift finds its significance and its value and its impact only in the body of Christ. And your gift becomes impactful and significant only in the body of Christ. God wired us up different so that he could make us one. That sounds like nonsense. No, he wired us up differently so that he can make us one together. I need you and you need me and God made us to serve and he made us to serve together. And y'all, I guess it's so easy for us to take things for granted. So easy. Said a little while ago, there's folks back behind that wall taking care of the little people in our church family, the tots. There's folks over there on the other side taking care of the older kids in our kids program, and we take that for granted. You take it for granted that the sound system is going to work. Every Sunday, you take it for granted that there are people out there helping folks park. Every Sunday, you take it for granted that we have music, really, really good musical worship every Sunday. We take it for granted. You take it for granted that the words to the songs are going to be up on the screen. You take it for granted that the, the passages are going to be up on the screen. You take it for granted that, that there's good coffee out there at the cafe every Sunday. Well, here's a shocker, y'all. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. It doesn't just magically happen. It, you know, I don't wake up on Saturday and twinkle my nose and just make all this stuff happen. And it takes a lot of somebodies, even in a church of our size, you know, it takes a lot of somebodies for this body called Church on the Trail to function effectively for the Lord. And it is all, don't, don't misconstrue this, it is all for the glory of the Lord. Everything that we do is in fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everything that we do, and it doesn't matter if it's coffee out there or if it's somebody on the greet team giving somebody a smile when they walk in the door, it is all for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It is all to help people find their way back to God and grow everything, tots or kids or coffee or whatever it is. And all of us as believers bring different gifts to the table. And they're different in nature according to God's wisdom and God's grace. And all of those things, just know this, all of those things, 
are God's gift to his church, his bride. And he gives faith and he gives power as he wills. Not as Ed wills, not as Susan wills, not as Caitlin wills, as he wills. I said at the beginning of this thing today, and I've said it a few times, that it's the only re- to serve him is the only reasonable way to respond to his grace and mercy. So our role is to be faithful and to find ways to serve the Lord with what, what the Holy Spirit has given us. The gifts that Paul mentions in these last verses, they fall into, kind of fall into two categories, speaking and serving. And gifts are given that God's grace may be expressed. Lock on to that thought. Gifts are given that God's grace may be expressed. Now the gifts of words speak to our hearts and our minds of God's grace. And the acts of service, the gifts that are, that are acts of service, display that grace in action. And clearly in this, in Romans 12, it's not this huge exhaustive list of, of gifts. It's not an exhaustive list of, a list of, of all the gifts that, that, uh, that the Lord gives us. Many of the gifts are kind of hidden. They're by, those behind the scenes words and acts, but they all serve to magnify the Lord. Prophesying in the New Testament Prophesying is not all wrapped up in predicting the future. That's, we, that's what we walk around thinking. That's not the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy more is effectively communicating the truths of God, Effect, usually through a Christian message. It's effectively, unashamedly, with boldness, proclaiming the truth in Scripture. And the way that Paul refers to each one of these gifts focuses on the importance of the use of the gift, teaching, whatever. It's not, gifts are not for having, they're for using. Not having, what does he say? It's on the screen, I believe. Use them. Let us use them. It's not about the gift, it's about the usage of the gift. In other words, y'all, God's gifts fulfill their values as we use them for the benefit of others. That's the reality. Verse 6 says, use them. God says, here's a gift, now go do something with it. If you have the gift of service, then you ought to use it where and when it is needed and use it to the best of your ability and use it with excellence. And the same goes for all the other ones, teaching, encouraging Contributing to the needs of others, leadership, showing mercy, whatever it is, whatever gift that we have, our, our response to God should be to faithfully use it in gratitude to him. It's the only reasonable way to respond to his grace and his mercy, y'all, by focusing on the application of the gift, by focusing on the usage of the gift, Paul removes a tendency that we would have to chest thump, to get all prideful. If it's teaching, then by God, teach teach. If it's service, then serve somebody. Y'all, if it's encouragement, you ought to constantly have your arm around somebody encouraging them. That's what God wired you up for that. You should be doing that. If it's giving, give a lot. Give. If it's leading, then lead with zeal, Paul says. Lead with zeal. Use that leading gift for the Lord. 
Whatever it is. What good is it? Think about this. What good is it if God gave me, me Ed, the gift of teaching and preaching and I just sit on the sidelines doing nothing? That's pathetic. It, it truly is pathetic. Get in the game, bro. Get off the sidelines. Get in the game. Like, like what am I going to walk around saying, look at me, look at me. I got the gift of uh, preaching. God gave me the ability to preach, but I'm not going to do anything with it. Shame on me. I remember growing up and playing ball and seeing these guys walking in the halls of high school with unreal talent, like unreal talent. But guess what they never did? They never stepped foot on a field. What a waste. Like what a waste. You can walk around and say how great you are, but if you never do anything with it, you never do anything with it. Get in the game and use the gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. The reality is, is if we can get ourselves busy using the gifts, busy serving the body, busy serving the Lord, we'll be way less concerned about ourselves. The potential for, for big ego, inflated ego, really goes way down because genuine service, authentic service controls pride. Genuine service controls pride. Now that day that little old lady approached Casey Diaz's cell at New Folsom State Prison in Sacramento, and she said, young man, can I speak to you? She said, how you doing? Now, this is a dude that just finished three years in solitary. She says, young, she says how you doing? And he pretty sarcastically said to her, well, I couldn't be better. She said, young man, I'm going to pray for you. But there's something else I want to tell you. She said, Jesus is going to use you. And he said, nah, lady, that ain't fixing to happen. Now, you know what? He would not have used the word fixing. He was in Sacramento, California. That was Ed's word. But he said, nah, man. He said, that's not going to happen. I don't know nothing about no Jesus. I don't know nothing about what you're talking about. That's just not going to happen. Miss Francis was her name. Miss Francis said to him, young man, every time that I'm here, every time I walk in the door of this prison, I'm going to come by and I'm going to remind you that Jesus is going to use you. Twelve months later, and it's a long story and I ain't got time to tell you, but if you want to read it, Shot Caller is the name of the book. Um, it's his story. About a year later, in his cell, radically saved. Just a radical salvation story for this guy. But he stopped conforming to the ways of the world. He was transformed by the renewal of his mind. He came to realize who he was in Christ and how different he was in Christ than he was when he, um, when he wasn't in Christ. He was transformed. He got his head on right. And he was released from prison in 1995. And he, now in California, he, he owns a little, um, a little sign shop, little sign company, but he's being used by the Lord every day as a pastor, as a part-time pastor, as an author, and as a speaker. And he's using the gifts that God gave him to bring glory to, to the Lord. He's using the gifts that God gave him for other people's forevers. Y'all get that? The, the gifts that the Lord gave him is helping to lead people into a relationship with the Lord. And then what happens? God is, is, is glorified. It's the only way the only reasonable way to respond is to serve him. 
So y'all, for Casey Diaz, it all started with that little old lady led him to Christ. And he got radically saved in that cell. It's all got to start with that. And Paul spent 11 chapters laying that plan out. And I'm going to give you that, that plan in 15 seconds. Repent, confess, believe. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. Turn toward the Lord. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. He died for you and God raised him from the dead. And ask him to save you and he will absolutely will save you. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for saving sinners like me. Thank you that that offer is there regardless of how worthless the world, the flesh, and the devil have maybe made us feel. Thank you that, that that's not the way you see things. And thank you that you're right and the devil is wrong. Thank you that at the end of the day, we win. So Lord, anybody that is here that, that wants that relationship that, that God's been tugging on them for years and years and years, let today be the day. They turn away from sin, repent, and believe. If that's you today, Lord, let people hear this. If that is you, just pray this prayer. I repent of my sin. I'm turning towards you. Lord, I'm turning towards you, and I believe that you died on that cross to take care of it. I believe that you ran out of that grave alive. Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, if that happened to you, just let us know on a little connection card in the seat back in front of you. Our prayer team is, and you can give it to the, somebody at the Welcome Center. Our prayer team is going to be in the back back there. They would love to pray for you. If you're watching online and that happened to you today, let us know on our website with a little online connection card. We just want to, we just want to walk that walk with you. We just want to hang out with you. We just want to help you in whatever way we can help you to grow. I want to tell you one last thing. When we're all done this, this afternoon, when we're all done today, we're going to end up being in the back. If you don't know it, Richard Moore's father-in-law, Rhonda's, uh, Rhonda Moore's dad, uh, has been fighting COVID for a couple of weeks now in the hospital. About 30 or 35 of us went down and prayed in the parking lot on Monday at Piedmont um, Medical Center. And little nuggets of better news. This morning, some really good news that has to be cautioned, and I get all of that. But just to be frank, the the uh, the oxygen that they're having to give him went uh, came down from 100% oxygen to 35% today. So there's a lot more breathing on his own going on. Yes. So um, when we're all done today and Stephen dismisses us, if you feel led to and want to, we're going to be in the back because Rhonda and Glenn, Richard's in Lynchburg, but Rhonda and, and Glenda are here, and we, I just want to pray as a church. So if you feel led to come back there, come back there.